Welcome to another episode of Audio Law, the law podcast for busy people, brought to you by Illustrated Law. I'm Claudia Opper, and in this episode's case, we'll be looking at a charge made by a plaintiff on the grounds of false imprisonment. And in this particular case, we'll see the question of whether the plaintiff, Coblin, was falsely imprisoned, or if there were reasonable grounds for Coblin's detention. The name of this case is Coblin v. Kennedy's Incorporated, 359 Massachusetts, 319, from the year 1971. If you find this episode helpful, please head over to www.illustratedlaw.com and donate a dollar or two. You'll see a green button on Illustrated Law's homepage, and whatever you're able to give helps us in being able to create more helpful episodes like this one. Let's get into the facts of Colbin v. Kennedy's. On March 5th, 1965, the plaintiff went to Kennedy's Incorporated, which I'll just be referring to throughout this episode as Kennedy's. Kennedy's is a store in Boston. He, the plaintiff, was 70 years of age and about 5 feet 4 inches in height. He was wearing a woolen shirt, which was open at the neck, a top coat, and a hat. Around his neck, he wore an ascot, which he had purchased previously at Feline's. He proceeded to the second floor of Kennedy's to purchase a sport coat. He removed his hat, top coat, and ascot, putting the ascot in his pocket. After purchasing a sport coat and leaving it for alterations, he put on his hat and coat and walked downstairs. Just prior to exiting through the outside door of the store, he stopped, took the ascot out of his pocket, put it around his neck, and knotted it. The knot was visible, quote, above the lapels of his shirt, unquote. The only stop that the plaintiff made on the first floor was immediately in front of the exit in order to put on his ascot. Just as the plaintiff stepped out of the door, the defendant, Goss, an employee, quote, loomed up, unquote, in front of him with his hand up and said, quote, stop, where did you get that scarf, unquote. The plaintiff responded, why? Goss firmly grasped the plaintiff's arm and said, quote, you better go back and see the manager, unquote. Another employee was standing next to him. Eight or ten other people were standing around and were staring at the plaintiff. The plaintiff then said, quote, Yes, I'll go back in the store, unquote, and proceeded to do so. As he and Goss went upstairs to the second floor, the plaintiff paused twice because of chest and back pains. After reaching the second floor, the salesman from whom he had purchased the coat recognized him and asked what the trouble was. The plaintiff then asked, quote, why these two gentlemen stopped me, unquote. The salesman confirmed that the plaintiff had purchased a sport coat and, and that, that the ascot belonged to him. The salesman became alarmed by the plaintiff's appearance and the store nurse was called. She brought the plaintiff into the nurse's room and gave him a soda mint tablet. As a direct result of the emotional upset caused by the incident, the plaintiff was hospitalized and treated for a myocardial infarct. 
And just in case infarct might not be a word in your typical vocabulary, an infarct is a small area of dead tissue that usually has resulted from a failure of blood supply. So when the plaintiff went into the hospital, he was treated for that area of dead tissue that was found on his body. The issue that we find ourselves facing in this case of Coblin v. Kennedy's is whether the plaintiff, Coblin, was falsely imprisoned. That's what we can end up deducing the issue of being. And as stated in the case documents, the pivotal question before us is, as in most cases of this character, is whether the evidence shows that there were reasonable grounds for the detention. Let's keep on going to the court's reasoning, which starts off with a pretty hefty chunk of cited material. Quote, The law is well settled that any general restraint is sufficient to constitute an imprisonment, and any demonstration of physical power which, to all appearances, can be avoided only by submission, operates as effectually to constitute an imprisonment. If submitted to, as if any amount of force has been exercised. If a man is restrained of his personal liberty by fear of a personal difficulty, that amounts to a false imprisonment within the legal meaning of such term." Unquote. We think it is clear that there was sufficient evidence of unlawful restraint to submit this question to the jury. Just as the plaintiff had stepped out of the door of the store, the defendant, Goss, stopped him, firmly grasped his arm, and told him that he had, quote, better go back and see the manager, unquote. There was another employee at his side. The plaintiff was an elderly man, and there were other people standing around staring at him. Considering the plaintiff's age and his heart condition, it is hardly to be expected that with one employee in front of him firmly grasping his arm and another at his side, the plaintiff could do other than comply with Goss's request that he go back and see the manager. The defendants next contend that the detention of the plaintiff was sanctioned by GLC 231, Section 94B. This statute provides as follows, quote, In an action for false arrest or false imprisonment brought by any person by reason of having been detained for questioning on or in the immediate vicinity of the premises of a merchant. If such a person was detained in a reasonable manner and for not more than a reasonable length of time by a person authorized to make arrests or by the merchant or his agent or servant authorized for such purpose, and if there were reasonable grounds to believe that the person so detained was committing or attempting to commit larceny of goods for sale on such premises, it shall be a defense to such action. If such goods had not been purchased and were concealed on or amongst the belongings of a person so detained, it shall be presumed that there were reasonable grounds for such belief. Unquote. The defendants argue in accordance with the conditions imposed in the statute that the plaintiff was detained in a reasonable manner for a reasonable length of time and that Goss had reasonable grounds for believing that the plaintiff was attempting to commit larceny of goods held for sale. 
it is conceded that the detention was for a reasonable length of time. We need not decide whether the detention was affected in a reasonable manner, for we are of opinion that there were no reasonable grounds for believing that the plaintiff was committing larceny, and, therefore, he should not have been detained at all. However, we observe that Goss's failure to identify himself as an employee of Kennedy's and to disclose the reason for his inquiry and actions coupled with the physical restraint in a public place imposed upon the plaintiff, an elderly man who had exhibited no aggressive intention to depart, could be said to constitute an unreasonable method by which to effect detention. At common law in an action for false imprisonment, the defense of probable cause, as measured by the prudent and cautious man standard, was available to a merchant. As we have attempted to show, the words, quote, reasonable grounds, unquote, and, quote, probable cause, unquote, have traditionally been accorded the same meaning. In the case of Terry v. Ohio involving the question whether a police officer must have probable cause within the Fourth Amendment to stop and frisk a suspected individual, the Supreme Court of the United States held that the probable cause requirement of the Fourth Amendment applies to a stop and frisk, and that a stop and frisk must, quote, be judged against an objective standard. Would the facts available to the officer at the moment warrant a man of reasonable caution in the belief that the action taken was appropriate? Anything less would invite intrusions upon constitutionally guaranteed rights, based on nothing more substantial than inarticulate hunches, a result this court has consistently refused to sanction." Unquote. If we adopt the subjective test as suggested by the defendants, the individual's right to liberty and freedom of movement would become subject to the, quote, honest suspicion, unquote, of a shopkeeper based on his own, quote, inarticulate hunches, unquote without regard to any discernible facts. In effect, the result would be to afford the merchant even greater authority than that given to a police officer. In view of the well-established meaning of the words reasonable grounds, we believe that the legislature intended to give these words their traditional meaning. This seems to us a valid conclusion since the legislature has permitted an individual to be detained for a quote, reasonable length of time, unquote. This would be at least analogous to a stop within the meaning of the Terry case. We also note that an objective standard is the criterion for determining probable cause or reasonable grounds in malicious prosecution and false arrest cases. So to sum that up, the court does not argue that the plaintiff was held for an unreasonable amount of time. In fact, there's a concession that he was detained for a reasonable length of time. However, the issue really comes with more that the plaintiff should not have been held at all. And comparing this case to Terry v. Ohio, we see that there needs to be an objective, reasonable reason, reasonable grounds for someone to be detained. And that standard 
which was previously required for policemen, still needs to be held to merchants as well. And so before we get on to our holding and the key takeaway from this case, let's hear about this episode's sponsor. This episode has been brought to you by Illustrated Law. Unlike traditional law books, Illustrated Law books have illustrations, practice questions with answers, key takeaway summaries, and so much more. It's the simple way to learn law efficiently. There are currently three Illustrated Law books available, and those are Constitutional Law, Torts Concepts, and Criminal Procedure, Investigation, and Justice. Order your Illustrated Law book today on Amazon for only $15. Let's wrap up Koblenz v. Kennedy's with the holding and a key takeaway from the case. To begin, the following is the holding. Applying the standard of reasonable grounds as measured by the reasonably prudent man test to the evidence in the instant case, we are of opinion that the evidence warranted the conclusion that Goss was not reasonably justified in believing that the plaintiff was engaged in shoplifting. This leads into our key takeaway. Restraint by the store was not sanctioned by the statute because it was an unreasonable method of detention. So reviewing the thought process that we saw in the reasoning and this overall holding and takeaway, we can see how this case serves as an excellent example of what can be considered reasonable grounds for false imprisonment. And that wraps up this episode's case. Thank you for tuning in. If you found this podcast helpful, tell your friends about audio law and check out some of our other podcasts. As Audio Law is the law podcast for busy people, I hope this episode helped make your day a little less busy.